Hi everybody, this is Dr. Sam Byrne and I'd like to welcome you to another iClarity podcast. I've been getting some amazing questions from people and uh, we have five questions today that I'm going to be talking about. So let's uh, jump right in. This is question number one. Uh, This is from a very concerned mom. Her name is Maria. She has a 15-year-old daughter who's been diagnosed with a condition called pathological myopia. And she's had this condition before the age of five. So she's had it over 10 years. She's been wearing corrective lenses and recently was diagnosed with a condition called neovascularization. She had her first Lucentis injection and the eye cleared up, but it left a small scar. Maria and her husband want a more holistic approach for her daughter. Her daughter's name's Angelina. And so she's asking for some advice from me. Uh, Maria is giving her daughter Angelina omega-3 foods like salmon, nuts, cod liver oil, citrus citrus fruits, and leafy green vegetables. All right, let's start with the definition of what is pathological myopia. And it is a type of nearsightedness that creates a change in the shape or structure of the eyeball, and it causes an elongation of the eye, which then begins to stretch the retina. Now, the retina is made up of a sea of microcapillaries, so lots of retinal blood vessels, and neovascularization is when those blood vessels um, are under duress and what happens is the retina begins to create new blood vessels because there is a a problem with the, the regular blood vessels, but these new blood vessels that the eye creates are weakened and they're fragile and this can create bleeding and edema happens quite a bit with uh, wet macular degeneration, macular edema from diabetic retinopathy, and it can happen in this condition called pathological myopia. So the way I look at a refractive error like nearsightedness is that it's there, there is a genetic component to it. However, what drives the genetic expression is the environmental experience. You know, there was a study that was put out uh, many years ago. The scientist's name was Francis Young. Took a group of Eskimos. They They weren't nearsighted. And what he did was he put them in school and he educated them. And in doing that, um, they all became nearsighted. And so the, his results showed that when uh, people spend a lot of time up close, you know, reading and looking at you know, digital devices, they're in a constricted visual space. And this is one of the environmental factors that causes the eye to become nearsighted. Nearsightedness is about pulling the world in. It's about tightening one's vision, blurring out the distance. Um, And there are many reasons why we do this. We do this because we're afraid. We don't understand what's going on. There's a chaotic experience happening. Or it could be just visual stress that we're, we're asked to, 
to do some close work before our eyes are ready to do that. And so our eyes change and become nearsighted. And the eye doctor basically just validates the programming that we're doing to our eyes. So one of the key factors in nearsightedness is to realize that whatever prescription is in the eyeball is also in a person's body. So it's in their movement, their thinking, their emotional reactions, their psychological perceptions, their biochemistry. So I always say a vision problem is more than in the eye. And when um, a child like this has been diagnosed with such a severe amount of myopia, number one, the first thing we need to do is not correct the, the eye completely to 2020. Uh, the stronger the lens that one wears, the tighter it makes the eyes. And in this particular case, what we want to begin to do is maybe have Angelina uh, live and work in a prescription that's around 2040. And in doing that, it's slightly under the 2020, it begins to include more of her eyeball instead of just a tiny part of the retina called the macula. And it spreads the light out, the lens spreads the light out into the peripheral, and this is going to be more relaxing for the eyes and also for the person. I also would um, recommend doing some physical eye therapy exercises, and the, the program that I would recommend would be in the area called Enhanced Learning. And the reason why I'm recommending this uh, physical eye therapy program is that it actually helps to do the physical eye therapy as a whole body experience. You know, in the brain, we have something called the brainstem, which is our reptilian brain. This is our fight, flight, freeze response in our brain. And there are early movement patterns called the primitive survival reflexes. And I've talked about these before. If these primitive reflexes are not integrated by age one, it interferes with one's ability to develop a healthy visual system. And one of the side effects of the primitive reflexes not being integrated is moderate to high amount of myopia. And so in this enhanced learning program, you're going to see things like the moral reflex integration, the tonic labyrinth reflex integration, the spinal gallant reflex integration, that your daughter needs to work on integrating these very early infant patterns, movement patterns, because it's where the visual system gets its early blueprint in developing how we see as we become an adult. I call this the imprints, the preverbal imprints that shape our sensory motor system. So we're taking you completely out of the regular eye doctor's office who's just measuring the eyeball and saying, you know, the eyes are integrated and connected to the brain and to the body and to movement. If we start doing whole body vision therapy exercises, it will relax the eyes and our vision then is a whole body experience. It isn't just through the eyeball. And in doing that, that's going to take the pressure and the stress off the structure of the eye and it could help reduce some of the neovascularization pattern that's obviously going on. So doing that program, and I offer things like uh, working with the vestibular system, working with bilateral gross motor exercises that include the visual system, 
and then including some fine motor visual therapy exercises. But really the point is including the whole body in the vision therapy process. And in doing that, that is going to slow down the progression of this pathological myopia. Obviously, the other piece of the puzzle is nutrition. And I think you're on the right track around nutrition. However, I think the critical things for the retina that you need to really include, and I would actually probably do both diet and also supplementation. You need to get in your daughter's body vitamin A, uh, vitamin C, vitamin E, bilberry. That's really important. That one is really important as an herbal formula for retinal health and retinal vessel health. Quercetin, uh, taurine, an amino acid that's really good for the optic nerve and retina. Um, and then trace minerals, selenium, magnesium, chromium. Um, again, getting an eye formula would be really, really helpful. I would probably also do a glutathione sublingual spray and also include foods that contain sulfur-rich foods uh, like the cruciferous vegetables and also plant-based foods with, you know, kale, spinach, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, and then your red and orange vegetables because that has the lutein in it. Uh, things like orange bell peppers, beets, um, red peppers, carrots, those kinds of things. So you're eating a plant-based diet, lots of uh, vegetables. You could certainly include berries in that, strawberries and um, blueberries. Um, I would also include, um, you know, in terms of animal products, wild-caught salmon, cod, uh, yes, lots of nuts and seeds, um, almonds and um, walnuts, pumpkin seeds, you know, all of the nuts and seeds are really important. You want to get um, about a thousand milligrams of omega-3 fatty acids uh, into uh, Angelina daily. So you may need to do a supplement. I would also do uh, a young, a young uh, person's probiotics. Uh, Garden of Life puts out a children's probiotics because we want to reduce any inflammation in the intestinal system, make sure that she's absorbing what she's eating. I would probably go gluten, dairy, and sugar-free. And if you're going to do any sweeteners, I would do low glycemic index foods. Um, that's really important. And, you know, I think the diet is very, very supportive here in, you know, maybe increasing retinal health and uh, slowing down the progression of the myopia. Two more points. I think getting some craniosacral therapy could be very helpful. You know, when we have high amounts of myopia, it actually tightens up the bones in the skull, uh, the head, the, the fascia, the face. Uh, so doing some cranial work, which kind of creates more movement and fluid, fluidity in the head and neck, cervical spine area is really important. And stress, reducing visual stress. So that means lots of breaks on digital devices, no more than 20 minutes at a time. Uh, and you definitely uh, want to use a blue blocking lens. Um, I probably, what I like to do is if there's 
a large amount of myopia. I'll fit somebody with contact lenses because there's less um, spherical aberration and you don't have to deal with the thickness of the glasses. And then maybe getting um, a blue blocking lens in, pair, in a pair of glasses over the eyes to do it. So there's a lot of holistic things that you can do. Um, definitely, it's a, it's a big issue, no question. Um, I don't think on the long term, Lucentis is the way to go. It can certainly help on the short term. But lifestyle, diet, stress reduction, vision therapy, reducing the lens prescription, those would be the ways to go. So thank you so much for the question. I really appreciate it. All right, let's go to question number two. And this is from Bobby. She would like to order some of my supplements and needs some suggestions. She's 67 years old and she's um, having some problems with her eyes at night when she drives. The headlights, especially the blue headlights, are bothering her. She has dry eye syndrome. Her eyes are, are tired but she says not from stress and not from restful sleep, but she is um, experiencing as a, as a kind of a result of light. And she's asking about a technique called photobiomodulation. And what do I think of that? And what can I do to help her? So light is the currency with which we see from. And when light enters the eyes, the photoreceptors get uh, activated and send electrical impulses back to the brain, and this is how we see. And about 25% of the light that goes into the eyes goes to the non-visual pathway. So it's affecting our hypothalamus, our pineal, our pituitary gland. You know, in some circles, um, scientists will say things like, we are made of photonic energy. Uh, Fritz Albert Popp, who is a famous quantum physicist, actually discovered that we are made of photons and that we're mostly made of light, non-material uh, beings. And that light, um, in, my, in my view, light is a food that can balance or create imbalance in our endocrine system, our nervous system, our visual system. There have been lots of studies out that show you know, the circadian rhythms get thrown off if we don't get enough sleep. Uh, there are studies out that show that blue light emissions that go into our eyes after 6 p.m. can affect our sleep cycles. So definitely light is a currency that we need to make peace with. And so whenever we have sensitivity to light, um, at some level, it could be actually a form of an autoimmune disease. It means our nervous system is out of balance, that our sympathetic nervous system is hypersensitive because we're not able to process the food of light very easily. And since the eyes are the major organ where we get light into our bodies, um, it is a place where we're going to feel the sensitivity. Now, with headlights at night, a simple solution to that would be to get a pair of anti-reflective uh, glasses that you would wear, and that should reduce most of the glare uh, that's going on. Dry eye is suggesting that you're not getting enough nutrients to your eyes, 
uh, that your eyes are in a starvation stage, so they're hypersensitive to begin with. So any, you know, anything like light coming into the eyes that you're not able to process easily is definitely going to be um, problematic. So in this particular case, you know, you've got to start thinking about things like MSM eye drops and, you know, getting a full range of antioxidants uh, into your eyes, ranging from the vitamin A, B-complex, which is very good for corneal health, vitamin C, vitamin E. Um, then, you know, the flavonoids are really important. Trace minerals are really important. So, you know, my eye health formula is great, but I also think you need to get it through your diet. So plant-based, rainbow diet, anti-inflammatory foods, uh, probiotics and enzymes, lots of fats and oils, good fats, like the omega-3 fatty acids, you need to boost those. Uh, at 67 years old, probably your estrogen levels are a little on the low side, and that could be a contributing factor. Thyroid imbalances can also be a contributing factor. And uh, doing something called color therapy, where you're using different colors, looking at through different colors, frequencies that can improve your ability to process the light. And of course, we have the rainbow method where we start with red and we look at red and orange and yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. In your case, because your eyes are hypersensitive, I would start with the blue end of the spectrum, maybe look through a colored blue gel for five minutes and then maybe a blue-green gel start to get acclimated. The blue end of the spectrum helps relax the eyes, reduces inflammation and uh, uh, trauma. So then once you expand on that, then you can start adding the red, orange, yellow colors, the green, and just do the rainbow method where you're looking through each color gel, maybe 30 seconds to two minutes with each color. When you get into something like photobiomodulation, you're talking about low-level laser, laser therapy. And this is a metal, medical technique. It's actually getting a lot of traction now, especially in the areas of traumatic brain injury, sports performance, problems with um, um, PTSD. Uh, it's not something that I use, so um, I can't really comment. I've certainly looked at a lot of the research uh, my view on it is that it depends on the practitioner. It depends on what their protocol is. I think it's something that you could certainly pursue as uh, a, an adjunct modality uh, for help. Um, the thing that I, that I have found about any kind of laser therapy, and this is very low level, is that sometimes if your system is already hypersensitive, to um, gain to get this level of intensity of laser uh, that it may be too much for you and it can cause your system to shut down. It can trigger more trauma. Uh, so I'm I'm mixed about it. And again, it's not something that I, I have certainly been invited to uh, start using it in my practice, but I, I didn't find it to be uh, useful enough uh, to to go for it. So I think it's something that you definitely can, can look at. Um, I think some other things that are out there, something called brain spotting. I know that's big in Santa Fe, and that's a type of therapy that you can do. You can look that up. There's also heart rate variability and biofeedback, neurobiofeedback. These are other modalities that sometimes can help. 
especially if there's a trauma element involved. But ultimately, if you can increase your nutrient absorption, reduce oxidative stress, reduce inflammation, um, get more eye nutrients into your uh, you know, retina and your cornea, I would also say the physical eye therapy exercises would be very helpful. And the one that I would recommend for you would be the dry eye exercise program. You know, whenever you do exercises, that's an active approach to therapy, as opposed to something just being done to you, whether it's acupuncture, photobiomodulation, neurobiofeedback, that's very passive. And you don't get the same uh, ability to learn and integrate and change as opposed to doing exercises, which are active, they're activating, and you have to do some learning in the process. And that seems to be the most effective way to turn this situation around. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you so much for the question. All right, this next question is from Amy, and she's asking a question about optic neuritis. So optic neuritis is when the optic nerve becomes inflamed, and it can flare up due to infections or nerve disease, and the inflammation usually causes some type of temporary vision loss, and it's usually uh, only in one eye, so it doesn't happen in both eyes. Um, some of the best ways to diagnosis, diagnose this would be to do a test called an optical coherence tomography, or OCT. You can also do an MRI. That's another way that you can uh, see if somebody has uh, optic neuritis. The risk factors of developing optic neuritis is usually females between the ages of 18 and 45, people diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, and some of the causes would be um, MS, uh, certain kinds of inflama uh, inflammation or infections that may affect the eyes, even conditions like mumps and measles, tuberculosis, Lyme's disease, uh, you know, sinus uh, inflammation, uh, even shingles. This is another sometimes uh, secondary factor that can cause optic neuritis. <clears throat> also, uh, this can happen based on reaction to drugs that affect our immune system, uh, certainly heavy metals, toxicities, parasites. Uh, all of these things definitely can be a cause. And with the symptoms, there is a temporary vision loss. There can be ocular pain, especially with eye movements, and sometimes seeing um, the colors um, are get distorted. And uh, you can also be sensitive to light, and uh, the pupils will start responding um, differently. I tend to look at things like autoimmune diseases and other kinds of neuropathies that can occur. Obviously, MS is part of that. Um, it usually signals that there's some type of autoimmune disease going on at some level and some inflammatory response uh, that's going on not only in the eyes and in the body. So conventional treatment is IV prednisone or uh, sometimes they'll use interferon uh, injections. But some of the side effects of using steroid treatment would be things like mood changes, sleep disturbances, and uh, problems with your digestive system. So the way that I would uh, treat optic neuritis is, first of all, get a definitive diagnosis. Second of all, if we need to do some short-term steroid uh, treatment, definitely that's a possibility. 
Um, but I would consider really taking a look at the deeper levels of what is interfering with a healthy immune system and what's going on in your inflammation world. And it starts in the gut. It starts in your digestive areas. So getting a, a full functional medicine uh, workup, blood work, uh, maybe a urine analysis for um, heavy metal toxicity, maybe a hair analysis to see what's going on with trace mineral levels, getting some baseline on what's going on in your inflammatory responses, your oxidative stress, your immune system, uh, your stress levels, any traumas, uh, and then things like heavy metals and parasites and other things like that. That would all come out through the functional medicine uh, evaluation. And then at that point, uh, I would consider using MSMI drops. I would consider using Eyebrite tea as a compress, also drinking it. Uh, I would consider getting some craniosacral therapy, some acupuncture, uh, making sure you're getting enough probiotics on a daily basis and that you have really good dietary absorption, eating mostly a plant-based diet, anti-inflammatory uh, and lots and lots of fats and oils. One of the best things that you can do for optic nerve health is making sure you're getting a minimum of 1,000 to 1,500 milligrams a day of omega-3 fatty acids. Um, obviously, my eye exercise program would be good. I'd probably do the one that's involved in traumatic brain injury. Uh, that would be a good one because I feel underneath optic neuritis, there is a, uh, a trauma element, uh, and it could be something like emotional trauma, head trauma. Um, so doing the traumatic brain injury program as the physical eye therapy, as we call it, the eye clarity program would also be a functional way for you to improve the eye lymph, the eye circulation and doing all those things. Then you would begin to move the bar away from the tendency towards optic neuritis, uh, because it's definitely a serious condition and using long-term steroids, uh, some of the other side effects is it can develop high intraocular pressure and even cataract formation. So uh, you want to get off the steroids as soon as you can. So those would be uh, the things that I would use in terms of uh, treating and managing optic neuritis. Amy, thank you so much for the question. All right, this next question is from Richard, and he's got some, um, some complaints around... Um, you know, dealing with stress and trauma. Um, and he's been diagnosed with glaucoma, but he's also, um, you know, dealing with some um, uh, stress, level, stress things like biting his teeth and um, or, or biting his lips, I guess, from his teeth, you know, getting twitching in his body, um, some, some mental illness, um, and he's working with a psychotherapist to help him with that. And he wants to know, how can I help him? And so, Richard, what I would say is it starts with your biochemistry. And if you could find a functional medicine doctor, a naturopathic doctor, and get some kind of baseline on your biochemistry, you probably would see that you're not absorbing your uh, foods very well. Uh, you're probably depleted in terms of your fats and oils. You may not be metabolizing your proteins very well, and you might have a sensitivity to carbohydrates. And, you know, using some herbal remedies and changing your diet could be a game changer for you, especially on the emotional level, the anxiety level, 
I find that there's a really strong correlation to our biochemistry and our emotional health. And if you do this, then when you start the other therapies that you're doing, whether it's uh, psychotherapy or acupuncture or physical therapy, or even doing things like, you know, yoga or meditation, if your biochemistry is more balanced, you're going to get more out of the, you know, the practices or the modalities that you're receiving. In terms of glaucoma, glaucoma is a vascular disease in the eye. It's definitely stress-induced. There's also oxidative stress involved. Um, inflammation is a, is a piece to the puzzle. Pharmaceutical drugs can also be part of the deal. So with glaucoma, it's important that you get enough fats and oils to protect your optic nerve. Uh, you want to stay close to your eye doctor and have your eye pressures and visual fields monitored. If you do have the time, I would do my eye clarity glaucoma eye exercise program because that will strengthen and improve your eye lymph and your eye circulation. And in working with your uh, doctor, your eye doctor, if your eye pressures come down and your visual fields expand, then you won't need to stay on the glaucoma medications. I'm not sure you're on them or not, but certainly uh, that is a way to wean yourself off it as you improve your lifestyle and diet and uh, nutrition. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you so much for the question. All right, last question for today. This is a, a person who's been diagnosed with a condition called epiretinal membrane pseudo hole. What supplements would be good for this condition? I am considering some kinds of eye drops, and I would also like a supplement with lutein in it. I'm also wondering what are the best eye exercises. So pseudo, pseudo hole or macular pseudo hole, uh, epiretinal um, condition, has to do with a pulling or the wrinkling of the macular area. And really what's going on in this particular uh, setup is that with a, with a macular pseudo-hole, um, another term with this would be called a macular pucker, the retina um, actually begins to have some pulling, and in that particular um, source of the pulling occurs in the vitreous, which is the gel-like substance that sits in front of the retina. And what happens is the vitreous, which is made up of mostly collagen, begins to shrink. And as it shrinks, it begins to pull on the retina, and this begins to cause this wrinkling and uh, creates a distortion in the macular area. And uh, the, vit the vitreous traction uh, or tugging creates uh, a problem in the macula, and then this can sometimes either lead to a full-blown hole or uh, just a just a, a macular pucker where there's a, uh, just a wrinkling that occurs. So one of the things that the doctors are recommending these days is something called vitrectomy surgery, which actually removes the vitreous and also it's appealing uh, away from the retina. And this sometimes can reduce some of the degeneration of the wrinkling or the macular hole. 
but it's mostly a symptom-based procedure, and there are definitely some side effects to this uh, medical procedure. You could certainly develop things like cataracts or glaucoma, and it's not really dealing with the causative factors. So we have to know that the macula is a very tiny part of the retina. It makes up less than 1% of the real estate of the retina, and it contains a pigment called zeaxanthin, which is a yellowish-orange pigment, and then surrounding that is lutein. And these carotenoids are really important because they help absorb the damaging ultraviolet and blue light that can enter the eye. And as long as you have enough zeaxanthin and lutein in the macular area, you are protecting yourself from any kind of macular defect. So it's very important that you get enough lutein and zeaxanthin into your diet, and I've spoken about this many times. Zeaxanthin is the orange, yellow vegetables, and lutein contains the green leafy vegetables. Uh, I would add a third one, astaxanthin, which is a marine carotenoid. It's a pink color, and you can either take it in a supplement, uh, or you can... Um, get it through wild-caught salmon and um, animal products, the seafood like that. Um, but you want to get at least 10 milligrams of lutein per 2 milligrams of zeaxanthin uh, twice a day. So that would be 20 and 4, that ratio. 20 milligrams of lutein, 4 milligrams of zeaxanthin, and 10 to 15 milligrams of astaxanthin daily. The second thing you want to do is make sure you're getting enough fats and oils in your diet, minimum of 1,000 to 1,500 milligrams of omega-3 fatty acids. You know, most people eat too much omega-6 and omega-9, which create more inflammation, so you want to make sure you're getting the omega-3 fatty acids as a primary. I would get some blue blocking glasses for any digital work that you're doing. Uh, I would also get some ultraviolet blocking glasses for, for being outside for sunglasses, so you're protecting your macula, both against UV and uh, uh, blue light. Uh, and I would also really amp it up as long as you're not a smoker. Uh, you can do your vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, uh, and your trace minerals, of course. Getting a, a full body eye vitamin would be helpful. I would add glutathione as a master antioxidant uh, also. And in terms of the eye exercise program, I would start in on the um, macular degeneration program. I think that that would be a really good one for you in terms of, uh, you know, relaxing the vision, reducing the stress, uh, improving your visual skills, improving your eye length. And last but not least, I would do the 5%, start with the 5% MSM eye drops to boost your vitreous health. Again, Think about collagen health and vitreous health. Health, And if your vitreous is shrinking, um, you need more, uh, you know, trace minerals, maybe things like bone broth, hyaluronic acid, foods that contain those, and then, of course, the MSM eye drops. So, you, you know, I've had people who've completely reversed their macular pucker. Uh, I've also had other people that have neutralized the deterioration. 
I would enter the surgical intervention carefully. I would do these things for at least three months to see if you can improve the situation. Uh, more and more people are developing this condition. I think it's partly due to our visual stress being on uh, all the digital devices. And I also think it has to do with this low-grade chronic inflammation, uh, oxidative stress syndrome that we're in. And the macula is one of those vulnerable areas where oxidative stress can, can be, you know, accumulate the free radicals. And then if your vitreous is shrinking and starting to pull away from the macula, then you're, ri you're very ripe for getting this kind of uh, uh, situation. So I hope that's helpful to you. Uh, definitely a lot you can offer uh, that you can do to help yourself. And uh, think of it as a process. And if you trust the process and you do everything, you have a really good chance of improving your vision. So that's my show for today. Thank you so much again for tuning in. And until next time, take good care. You're listening to a podcast with Dr. Sam Byrne. To learn more about his seminars and workshops, visit his website, www.drsambyrne.com. The Byrne Method is a trademark signature of Dr. Sam Byrne for his workshops, seminars, books, and DVDs. The information presented in this podcast is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose for this podcast is to provide information for educational purposes only. Dr. Byrne and his guests have no liability or responsibility to any person or entity for loss, damage, injury caused, or allegedly caused through the information, exercises, suggestions, explorations, or written responses presented in this podcast. Dr. Byrne is not a medical authority and his guests are not qualified to diagnose or treat any disease or health problem. This podcast is not a substitute for medical care. Dr. Byrne's information is only his personal opinion. If you have any health problem, please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.